You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. So this month is actually, we're for the, for the month, we're celebrating 40 years, 40 years of ministry at Bethel Bible Church, which is one year longer than I've been alive. So that means there's been... There's people doing ministry here longer than I've been alive. That amazes me. Uh, and actually, this month, we, our campus celebrated its eighth birthday. I believe it was on August 8th, 9th, something like that. But as we celebrate the past 40 years, we're also looking ahead to the next 40 years. And we want to do for others what was done for us. So normally what we do around here is we do a verse-by-verse verse exegesis of a book of the Bible. We just work through Colossians. We're going to, uh, in the fall, we're going to be working through the book of Joshua. I'm so excited about that. But we're taking a little break, as we usually do in the month of August, to talk about a piece of our vision. And uh, one of the three cornerstones of our vision is living generously. And that's, gonna, that's very practical this year because we're beginning a two-year investment campaign where we're raising what we need for the next 40 years. And so that'll go really to three main categories. The first is building needs at all campuses. The second is global missions, which a big part of that is school. It's Sierra Leone. Uh, uh, it's in Sierra Leone. And then also some debt reduction from previous uh, buildings. And so we've got some books. If you have not taken a book like this home, I want you to grab one today. Take it home. If you grabbed one a couple weeks ago or even last week and lost it already, no judgment. We've got plenty. We planned for this. So please grab another one and take it home. Uh, my family, we've been doing the family devotionals in here. And y'all, last night we got to sit and have a great discussion about some of the hard times in our life. And I got to talk to my kids about here's some things I've learned from God in the hard times. And they got to talk about some of the things they've learned about God in the hard times. So please take one of those with you. But we've said from the beginning, our primary purpose is for each person here to be fully invested into the kingdom of God. We want to live weird. We want to live counterculturally by investing our lives, not in ourselves, not in our own comfort, not in our own advancement, but in the things that are closest to the heart of God. That's the type of people we want to be. That's what we mean when we say, and we say it often, that we want to live generously. Now, if you're a, a guest with us, or if you've been a, best, a guest with us the past couple of weeks, uh, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And I'm sure if you've been here the past couple of weeks, you're thinking, all they do at that church is talk about money. We actually don't talk about it very often. This is a low-pressure place. We don't pass a plate. We probably actually don't even talk about it as much as we should. But I want to say to you directly, hey, we don't want anything from you. This is not about you. I'm going to ask you to just sit back, relax, and observe us as we kind of do some family business. But I'll also say, I'm so glad you're here right now because I truly believe this is a chance for you to see us at our best. So last week we looked at Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 was a warning. Your heart loves stuff. And if you're not very, 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 very careful, you will enjoy the blessings of God while you forget totally about God. And you stop responding to his voice. This week, we're going to do the other side of the coin. We're going to look at the positive. We're going to see a real life example of what the Bible calls the most excellent way. 
the type of life that when, when you see it, it, it may make no sense. It may defy all of your common sense, but you can't deny its beauty. The type of life that's it, so rich, it is so full, it exposes the emptiness of every other way of living. Now, if you do have one of your booklets, in your booklets it said the passage is Deuteronomy 29. Which y'all, Deuteronomy 29 is a great chapter. You should all go read it and study it and learn it, but that's not what we're going to look at today. I think God has something different for us today. So you can be turning in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, we are going to meet a group of people filled with joy. And the reason they are filled with joy is because they're the pig, not the chicken. Let me tell you what I mean. You sit down to breakfast. You got a breakfast, you got bacon and eggs. Both the chicken and the pig contributed to your breakfast. The difference is the chicken only made a contribution. The pig had to go all in. You know, all the statistics tell us that churches, our churches, and guys, I'll I'll put our generosity up against any body, but, but we can't think we're so different at the same time. All of our churches are full of lots of chickens and not very many pigs. You can look at attendance. So all the research tells us right now, uh, committed believers attend church less than twice a month. That number is it. It was just over twice a month before COVID. After COVID, that number has dropped even more. It's like 1.7, 1.8. So we're losing the battle against the pajama pants, okay? You can look at time and talent. So you've probably heard of the 80-20 rule, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's very common. It's normal in all kinds of organizations. All the studies say it's no different in the church. 20% of the people do 80% of the giving of their time and their talents. Y'all, the statistics are much worse when we look at our money. So somewhere between between 10 and 25% of regular church attenders tithe. Now, let's be generous. Let's, let's be optimistic. Let's say it's the high end. Let's say it's the 25%. Y'all, that's still a very bad statistic. Did you know, did you know if every Christian tithe that there would be an extra $139 billion every year for ministry? Isn't that amazing? You know what that translates to? No campaign. We would never need a campaign because there would be an abundance. And so the norm in our culture is to make selective contributions, to be that chicken, you know, here and there, as long as it's not uncomfortable, as long as I don't have to say no to too many other things. But y'all, what if I told you, if we've been looking at it all wrong, what if I told you the way to joy, to life, to peace, to fulfillment was to be weird, was to buck the trend, was to be that pig, not the chicken. You were created to be that pig. I know it sounds crazy. It sounds upside down. But today, in this passage, we're going to see, we're going to uncover four things about generosity. And they all point, they all show us that there is no better way to live than with a generous life. So that's why our big idea this morning is this. Generosity is the jam. It's the jam. Now, that's the amazing professional work of our AV team right there. Generosity is the jam, guys. There's no better way to live. And kids, if you don't know what that means, ask your parents. That's, that's the way people used to talk cool, okay? Not anymore, I know. Let's open our Bibles. 2 Corinthians 8, we'll read the first nine verses. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, there are abundance of joy. In their extreme poverty, 
have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor and taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus as, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also, also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, and that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So a little background here, because we're hopping in in the middle of a book. Paul is writing a fundraising letter to the church in Corinth to raise funds for Project Jerusalem, for the church in Jerusalem. And as he's talking about that, he kind of goes through, here's a theology of our stuff. And he points to a third church, or several churches, these Macedonian churches, as an example of joy and of generosity. These Macedonian churches, this is Philippi, this is Berea, this is Thessalonica. You may realize there are some New Testament books named after these churches. And in fact, the book of Philippians is a thank you letter for this very act that he's talking about here, for this gift. And if you go read Philippians, guys, it is Paul's most emotional book. I mean, it is just gushing. It's almost like a Nicholas Sparks novel or something. It's just ooey-gooey, lovey-dovey, filled with all this affection and all this gratitude. And we ask, you know, what draws this emotion out of a manly man like Paul? It was their stunning generosity. The church in Philippi started... Really, it's crazy. No one would have ever expected this to happen. It started with three people. You had a, a wealthy Gentile fashionista. You had a demon-possessed slave girl. And you had a, a Roman guard, guard in the jail. Now, if you're Paul, if you're raised, any Jew, any good Jew knew those three people are as far from God as you can get. But those farthest from God had by his grace and his generosity become sons and daughters of God. They had received unmerited generosity of God's grace. And so Paul's first point to them, the first thing we learn about generosity, generosity is a synonym for grace. Generosity is a synonym for grace. This passage on generosity, this is one of the most grace-saturated passages you'll ever read. He uses the word for grace five times just in these seven verses. In chapter 7 through 9, he uses that word 19 times. And in verse 1, Paul calls their financial gift, he calls it the grace of God. The grace that had saved them and the generosity that flowed through them, same thing. That's what he's saying. It's the same thing. It's all the grace of God. See, the Bible makes this stunning claim, and a lot of times we don't believe it, but it's true. The Bible makes this claim that grace does not leave a human heart the way it found it. It changes a heart. Those who have experienced the radical generosity of God, they become like him. 
And so maybe you've never thought of it that way, but that's, that's what generosity is. It is God's unmerited favor moving through you towards others. And so Paul's point here is that those who experience the grace of God, they repeat it in their life over and over and over again. Next we see in verse 2, generosity is a joy. It's a joy. Now this is amazing. There's two extremes going on in this church simultaneously, side by side. Number one, affliction. Number two, joy. He talks about their poverty. Now the, the, the word he uses for poverty here, this is not like, oh, I'm a little short on cash. I got an old iPhone, can't afford the new iPhone now. No, no, no. This is, you know, we used to have a saying if in, uh, in Louisiana, it was, uh, if a trip around the world only cost a dollar, I couldn't even make it to the state line. That's the kind of poverty they had there. And you read that and you think, can those two things really go together? Poverty, joy, together? That makes no, that makes no sense. According to every commercial you've ever seen, it can't happen. According to any natural inclination of our heart, there's no way that can happen. But for those whose joy comes from the Lord and not for their stuff, that's the way it happens every time. So he says they were characterized by their generosity. This word means uh, liberality and giving. They are so excited to give. They're looking for ways to be generous. They wanted to give. That's completely upside down, y'all, than every natural inclination of my heart. I don't know about you. See, the, the natural man, the way we naturally try to do it is we try to get stuff in order to get joy. That's not how it wor- works with the grace-infused heart. The grace-infused heart wants to give stuff because it already has joy. And so it's like these Philippians are saying, listen, you think getting stuff is cool? Have you tried giving it? Giving it's the jam. There's no other way to live. And that's why the New Testament principle on giving is not the tithe. Did you know that? Tithing is not in the New Testament. It's in, it's in the Old Testament. It's part of the Old Testament law. And listen, it is helpful. It is good. It's a, it's a good rule of thumb. But we are no longer, longer under law. We are under grace. And the principle of the covenant of grace is not tithe. It is joy. He'll go on to say in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, this is the, the New Testament principle of giving. Each one must give as he had decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. What does a cheerful giver look like? I've known many. You've probably known many. I thought of two contrasting examples this week. One from Scripture and one from my own life. So, first one is the rich young ruler. In Luke 18, you know, that, that parable reads like a good old-fashioned Greek tragedy. It is. It is a tragedy. This rich man, he walks up and he, he tells Jesus, you know, I've kept, I'm a good person. I've kept the law. I've done all the things. But he has a burning question. What, what more must I do for eternal life? See, it's like he knows that isn't cutting it. He knows there's something more. And Jesus is so brilliant. Jesus just reads his mail. And he lists, he lists some commandments, Jesus does, but it's all the laws from the second tablet. 
You could say it's the, the horizontal laws, all the morality that has to do with how we treat one another. And the rich man says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm batting a thousand. I'm killing it on those. But what's missing? The vertical commandments. His relationship with God. So Jesus shines a big, bright spotlight on this man's idols. And he says, hey, listen, if, great job being a moral person. Really, good job. If I ask you to sell all your stuff and trust me, would you do it? Are you willing to trust me more than you're willing to trust your stuff? And y'all, this man's response, I never noticed it till this week, haunted me all week. It says he became very sad because he had great wealth. See, it'd be different if the man scoffed at Jesus. Oh, that guy's an idiot. What does he know? He's walking around around the desert with a bunch of nobodies. Or if he walked around just indifferent, like, meh. That was weird, but okay, I'm going to keep doing my thing. No, but he went away sad. It's like he knew in his heart. He knew the real treasure was right in front of him. He knew all the stuff in the world could not make him happy, but he was unable to pry his stuff out of his own heart. His stuff had such a, a grip on him. He couldn't make himself do what he knew he should do. And he went away sad. I think this parable should make us tremble in our boots I don't know about you. I do not want to be that guy. So listen, this parable, it's been used all kinds of ways. This parable is not saying we should all take a vow of poverty and that our stuff is bad. This parable is saying that our hearts are bad. And this truth can be staring us in front of the face. But our hearts will make us walk away sad, clinging to our stuff. So that's the first example. That's the exact opposite of the church in Philippi. Let me tell you another example. A few months ago, I was in a meeting with a guy named Dave. Dave's been around Bethel for a very, very long time. He's been an elder several times, done a lot of stuff. And he was part of eight years ago, we did, a, we did our last capital campaign. And part of that capital campaign was to launch this campus. That was the, one of the big goals of that campaign. And so Dave, he's talking about that. And he just kind of off the cuff says, you know, I don't, I don't remember how much we gave. I remember that it was uncomfortable. And y'all, when he said that, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just had to stop him. I said, hey, Dave, I'm here today because you were willing to wait, make yourself uncomfortable. And y'all, this is, Dave is a manly man. He was in the military. He's done, I'm not manly like he is, okay? He's intimidating. When I said that, a tear started coming down his eyes. We were opposite in the room. He gets up and almost sprints across that room to come give me a hug. The look in that man's face, that was joy. That was the joy that comes from a generous life. Generosity is joy, men and women. The world will try to convince us different. It is a lie. It is not true. I've seen it. And then Paul wants to know generosity, it's required for growth. Generosity is required for us to grow spiritually. That's why in verse 7, Paul tells all the churches, make generosity a priority. What the, these churches, these Macedonian churches are doing, it's not special. It's the norm. It's the pattern to follow. He says it's just like faith, knowledge, speech, love. It's just as essential to the Christian life. Now, if you want to run, you ask, hey, can you grow spiritually without faith? 
Can you grow without love? You'd say, no, that's crazy. If you ask, can you grow without giving and generosity? We can be like, well, maybe. There is no sanctification without generosity. It's in the Bible over and over and over again. There is no sanctification. Because sanctification, it's not just in the cloud. It's not just good intentions. It has to come through in our lives. And so I know there's a lot of people who want to grow. They want to grow spiritually. They want to mature. But maybe what we need to grow in the Lord, listen, it's not more classes or more information or a better preacher or more programs or more ministry to consume. What if, what if what we need is to learn to be generous with our time, our treasure, and our talents? I think we have an opportunity here to experience spiritual growth like we've never seen here. You realize we are in almost the exact same position that church in Philippi was in. Almost the exact same. And we have a chance to do for others what they have done for us. And so that's, Paul says in verse 3, when he says they, they gave according to their means, so it means they, they didn't hold anything back, but he, gave, he says they gave beyond their means. That word means contrary. So the idea Paul is trying to express is they gave not according to what they had, but according to what they had been given according to what they had received. So this gift is going to the Jerusalem church. But the Jerusalem church, they were the ones who had first commissioned Paul, and they had first equipped him and sent him off on his missionary journeys to go plant churches. So these Macedonian churches existed not because of themselves, but because of what God had done through the people in Jerusalem. And now, now the church in Jerusalem had a need. And it was a tremendous joy for these people to give according to what they had received. You know, like I said, eight, eight years ago, a lot of people, most of whom you've never met, gave generously so we could start this campus. We had two campuses at the time. One of those campuses was the downtown campus. And God's grace flowed through them. Listen, there's no way we could have done this on our own. And I'm so grateful that they did. I will be grateful for the rest of my life what they did. And now they have a need. God has opened up a building right next door. This doesn't happen below market price. And God is doing a work there. And you know what? Over there, you know what? They're nervous. They're they're eager. They're wondering if they're going to be able to make it happen. You know what I think would be the coolest thing in the world? I mean, just a jam. If very, very quickly, maybe today, maybe even next week, it, it becomes apparent to them. They know that because of our generosity and the generosity of others, they know they're going to have the resources to do what God's called them to do. That would be so amazing. I mean, y'all, what if we were so generous it caused them to worship God? There's nothing better. There's absolutely nothing better. Listen, I know we have needs. I will challenge anyone. You make a list of what you think our needs are. I'll make a list, and I guarantee you my list will be longer, okay? I know. But we're not even like the Philippians church. They were experiencing great affliction. I, we're not even there yet. And yet, in their affliction, they gave so that other people in other places, many of whom they never met, could continue to worship God. And they gave according to what they had already received from so many others. Men and women, I'm telling you, if we can trust God like this, if we can spread his grace like this, that kind of generosity will change us. It cannot help 
but changes. We will experience spiritual growth like we never have before. We will experience the kind of spiritual growth that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. You know what? Unless we think, you know, we, we do this and we think, wow, we're, we're pretty great, actually. Paul reminds us, generosity is worship. That's all it is, is worship. Worship, you know what worship is? Worship is simply man's response to God. It is not a performance. It is a response. So Paul tells us, he reminds us what God has done. It's a great presentation of the gospel. He says, Jesus was rich. Now, when he says that, he doesn't mean money. I mean that also. But more than that, he was rich with God. Think about it. He, he existed for all eternity. There was never a time when he was not. He had all the privilege in the place of heaven. He was worshipped by angels. He was immune, totally immune to sin, pain, and death. He was immersed in the love that binds the Trinity together for all time past and all time future. That's how he was. He was rich with God. But he became poor for us. He laid aside his royalty. He divested himself of his glory. He impoverished himself. He became a servant. He became vulnerable and weak. He experienced temptation and suffering and sorrow and grief. He withstood mockery, pain, betrayal, and even a shameful death. Now we, we, we were poor. We were godless on account of our sin and rebellion. So in our place before God, we were bankrupt. When it came to our relationship with God, we weren't just neutral. We were his enemies. Our default nature is to choose that which is opposed to God. But because of him, we became rich. We have been brought into a right relationship with God. We have forgiveness of sins. Our debt has been paid in full. We have membership into God's family. We are his sons and daughters. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we have the glorious certainty of perfect eternity with him and a, sinful world, and a sinless world in a resurrected body. Those of us who were poor have become so rich. And all of this is, on, is not of our own. It is only because of the generosity of God. See, men and women, God really doesn't want anything from you. He wants things for you. Our generosity, at best, is simply just a, a minor response, a, a response of worship to our generous and sacrificial God. Now, can we be a generous church like the ch Macedonian churches? Joyful, transmitting his grace, worshipful. Oh, I hope so. I hope so, men and women. Here's a way to do this. There, there will be never-ending ways. And in each of your chairs, we have you should have had one of these, a commitment card. And so it's got some stuff on the back here. And here's what I want you to do with these. I want you to take this card home, and I want you to put it where you cannot escape it, where you will see it, okay? And I want this card to be for all of us about something much bigger than one campaign or uh, some dollar figure. I want this to be a time we all do some business with God. What are our idols where do we really seek to find joy? Do we really trust him? Is my stuff mine or is it his? Do I know the joy of generosity? Now listen, it, 
This campaign, and there is a commitment card on the bottom that is about a financial commitment, but that is far from the sum total of what it means to live a generous life. You know what our hope is? Our hope is we have more people who will be generous with your time, generous with your time attending church. Let's be weird. Let's buck the trend. Let's actually gather together like the Lord calls us to do. That we would be, more people would be generous with their talents and with serving. Listen, if you are attending here and you are not currently on a serve team, your work with God may be to be reminded this week to do some heart work and join a serve team. We still need life group leaders. We need leaders in our Bethel Kids ministry. We'll take you wherever we can get you. But I'm also asking you to give of your treasure. Listen, the financial needs here are real. They are important. And we think they are biblical. We really believe this is the specific, practical way God has called us to think about those coming in the future, to think about the next 40 years, to live out the Great Commission. And we're serious about it. And so, we yes, we are asking you to participate. And here's how you can participate. So today, starting today, and then next Sunday, so you have today and one more Sunday, you can tear off the bottom of this card. There's a black box as you exit the double doors out there. And you can just drop that in the box. Now, I know some of you are like really hip and cool, and you're like, paper? Who uses paper anymore? You can also do it online. Uh, We don't, oh, I'll leave that there. We don't have Venmo. We're not that cool yet. Uh, but you can go to our web, we have a website set up, Bethelbible.com slash abundant. You can go to that website or you can text the word abundant to our text to church number. If you want, there's an online commitment card you can fill out there as well. But I have one caveat. I have one personal request. If it's not joyful, if it's not worship, don't do it. See, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And if you aren't there yet, you still have some hard work to do. And I encourage you to do it. Would you ask him? Would you talk to him? Would you say, you know what? Guys, I'm I'm going away sad. I'm clinging to my stuff. Would you change my heart? You may need to ask God to rethink your thinking. God, I've I've been thinking about this all wrong, and I still don't understand. I don't know if I trust you. Would you help me? Here's what's going to happen. Life's going to keep going on. At the end of this, we'll gather the cards. We'll add up the total. And yeah, the dollar amount will be important, but not most important. What will be most important, what will be most consequential is that each of these cards came from a heart who was eager to give, who gave joyfully, who gave cheerfully, that each came from a heart who has known the grace and generosity of our God, who is so thankful and eager to be used by God in the lives of others. Men and women, if we get there, we'll have something really special. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I want. This is what I want. 40 years from now, maybe eight years from now, maybe not till eternity. I want us to be the people who one day we run into somebody and they say, I'm here because you were willing to make yourself uncomfortable. Men and women, that'd be the jam. I don't know what better I'm going to do with my life. What better act of worship I can come up with. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.